Good morning. I'm Steve Blummer. I'm one of the pastors here. If you don't know me, it's good to meet you. Uh, we are in the middle of a series called 50 Days of Transformation. We're about halfway through the series. Uh, over 260 of you have picked up the Transform Workbooks that we've had in the lobby. There's a few more out there. If you never got one, you can grab one out there. And uh, we're using those workbooks for our daily devotions. Uh, many of you are using the workbooks as you join our 21 life groups that we're using the additional DVD teachings by Rick Warren. And uh, so we're excited about this idea of transformation. Each week we're looking at a specific area in our lives that need to be transformed by the amazing power of God. It is God's ability to transform us. It's not our ability. But it is our responsibility to put things in our lives or to take things out of our lives so that we can allow God to shape the way we think, feel, and act. We've looked at things like our spiritual health, which has to do with spending time with God because we learned that God wants to spend time with us. That's a great truth. We looked at our physical health, how to deal with our stress and how to take care of our bodies so that our bodies are not just to look good, that's important, but that we use our bodies to serve God with all of our strength. Last week, we looked at mental health. What do we do with our thoughts? How do we stop believing the lies that we tell ourselves, but how do we fill our minds with the truth from God's Word? And today we're going to be looking at emotional health, how to deal with how you feel, how to deal with how you feel. I'm going to try to put a little emotion in my message today because we're talking about emotion. It would be kind of weird to only hear it monotone and like a lecture. So... Um, Bear with me sometimes. It's, it's going to be difficult to talk about emotion, just like it is to talk all the other aspects in one 30-minute message. I mean, we could, take, we could t- pick an emotion, talk about it for a week, pick a different emotion, and create like a 15-week series on our emotional health. So I encourage you to take some notes at the back of your bulletin. I encourage you to take the workbooks, work through your daily devotions, get to a life group. Not only can you watch the additional DVD teachings, but you also get to interact with people about this idea of emotional health. We're going to look at some facts about emotions, which sounds like an oxymoron, and we're going to look at how to practically deal with our emotions, or at least our unwanted emotions. So first of all, uh, emotions are God-given. Emotions are God-given. God has emotions. That's something we don't often think about. God has emotions. God is an emotional God. God feels joy. He feels sorrow. He feels jealousy. He feels anger. God feels all of those things. And the reason that you feel those things is because God feels those things. And God said, I want to create man in my image. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, let us create man in our image. You have emotions because God has emotions. Emotions are not bad in and of themselves. Emotions, when they're in the extreme, whether you're burying them within you or whether you blast them all over the place, that's when our emotions become a problem. But it is your emotional ability that allows you to do good things, such as to love and to create and to be faithful and to be generous and to be merciful and to be sympathetic and to hate injustice in the world. Those are good things. Your ability to have emotions is a gift from God. So we shouldn't think that we need to take this emotional stuff and kind of push it to the side. We shouldn't think that being a stoic person, someone who's even killed all the time, is like the emotional healthy person. That's not true. 
God wants our emotions. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart. That's your passions, your affections, your desires, your motivations, your emotions. God knows whether you're sitting here worshiping him and your heart's not in it. He knows whether you're serving him just out of duty. God wants your heart. He wants your emotions. He wants you to feel it when you worship him and when you serve him. He doesn't want just your intellect. And just on the flip side, God doesn't want just your emotions. Some people, they look for a church to give them experience. They want an emotion of emotion, right? They want to walk out of an experience and feel like the spiritual high. And that can become an idol if we're not walking into a worship service saying, I want to learn something about God so that I can grow in my faith in God. You've got to have both your intellect and your emotion. I'm not sure where we would fall on the spectrum here at Hope Chapel, but um, I think we would fall more on the intellectual side than we'd fall on the emotional side. And I don't think I'm saying that we need to be performancy up here on the stage, but I think that we can get to a point where we need to be unashamed in how we worship and how we serve God because it doesn't matter what other people are doing around us. So if we feel like raising our hand or we feel like clapping even though no one else is clapping and we're off rhythm, who cares? It doesn't matter. It's just between you and God. Worship him with all of your emotions. Emotions are not bad. But we also know that emotions are not reliable. Emotions are not reliable. Emotions are essential. You know, for example, we take the emotion of fear, such as running away from attacking bear. Our emotions kick in, but long before our intellect kicks in. Our intellect says, hmm, there's a bear coming my way. And that bear seems to be moving pretty fast. And the look on that bear doesn't seem like that bear is very happy. But our emotions already kicked in and say, hey, stupid, get going, run. So our emotions are good. But our emotions are not always trustworthy. It's happened a few times uh, in my 18 years of being married. Um, in the middle of the night, I am suddenly awoken by my wife who heard a noise. How many of you know what exactly what I'm talking about? Yeah, right? She heard a noise. You didn't hear a noise, but now you're scared of the noise you didn't hear. So you both are listening intently to see if you can hear another noise, see if you can figure out where it's coming from. And you're both looking out the door, maybe you can catch a shadow or the thief walks by or whatever's going on, someone's in your house. And so neither one of you can sleep because you're afraid of the noise. And only until you get up and that I search the entire house, I check all the closets, I check all the doors, I make sure everything's clear before I can go back to bed and tell my emotions that I have the evidence to change, not to be afraid, and to go asleep. So our emotions cannot be trusted with the truth. They disrupt the truth. What's interesting is 2010, there was a research at Cornell University that showed that when an event had a negative emotion, the memory of that event was filled with false statements. When an event had a negative emotion, the memory of that event was filled with false statements. Your emotions can disrupt the truth. They can't be trusted with it. It's believed that our emotions and our intellect are kind of like two different systems within us, but they relate to one another like a, like a seesaw. So when you're 
emotions are out of control, it's very hard for your intellect, your logical reasoning decision factor processing to kick in because your emotions are out of control. Your emotions can lead you down the wrong path. Even if we have the right kind of information, our emotions can take over because we're dwelling on a desire or we're dwelling on this emotion. And it's just a matter of time before that dwelling becomes the only thing that dwells within us. Proverbs 14, uh, verse 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man. I encourage you to circle that word, seems. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the, its end is the way of death. Just because it feels right doesn't mean it's right. Our immediate feelings can take over because we want immediate rewards, even though we know that it's going to mess up our long-term goals. How many of us have ever taken money out of savings or we've taken money out of retirement because we need something now, even though we know that it's going to mess our long-term goals up? Sometimes our feelings can be flat-out false. Fle uh, feelings are often fleeting. That's why marriages uh, get messed up so many times. It's based upon a feeling. They started out with this loving feeling. Two people fell in love. They got married. And then those feelings were replaced by real life. Right? And they say, where's that loving feeling? We don't love each other anymore. I don't love them. They don't love me. And so they begin to try to find those feelings again in someone else or something else. Rather than knowing love is also a choice. And I can choose to create those feelings for my spouse. So emotions are not always reliable. Emotions are contagious. Emotions are contagious. Your emotion is not just your problem. They become other people's problem. How many of you have ever been around somebody who's angry, and all of a sudden you're angry, but you weren't angry before? You've been around someone who's sad, and suddenly you're sad. That's okay. Those are things that make us human. We grieve with those who grieve. We rejoice with those who rejoice. It's good that those emotions are contagious, but those emotions can also be contagious in a negative way. As a parent, sometimes we see our kids react a certain way, and we're like, oh, my word, where in the world did you learn that from? You're looking at your spouse. They're looking at you, and you're like, yeah, they learned it from me, right? They taught, I taught them how to react that way. It can be contagious. And so the Bible warns us sometimes to stay away from people, to stay away from those people that stir up strife, to stay away from people who complain because they can lead us to disaster. Hebrews 12, verse 15 says, says that, See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up, causing trouble, and by it defiling many. This is saying there's one person, and for some reason they have come to the point where they realize God doesn't love them. God doesn't have a plan for them. God isn't there during my suffering or my situation. And so they plant in their heart this seed of bitterness, and that seed grows up. And like a, a vine, it begins to wrap around people around them. It could defile many. One person can take down a lot of people. Uh, Asaph, in the Bible, he, he's an old songwriter. He wrote Psalm 73, and he shares his struggle 
uh, with being jealous of the wicked. The wicked were prospering. He wasn't. He was righteous. What's up with that, God? And he said that if I proclaimed what I was feeling, I would betray an entire generation from trusting in God. He understands that it could be contagious and it can be disastrous. It can be a positive and it could be a negative. Your emotions are primarily vertical. Your emotions are primarily vertical. There's a lot of things in our life that can stir up our emotions. There are people in our lives that can stir up emotions. There is our work that can stir up our emotions. There are our situations that stir up emotions. There is even our physical health that can stir up our emotions. You know, sometimes we're, we're grumpy because we don't feel good or we're hungry. Uh, there are biological illnesses and diseases that affect our mood. You're different when your blood sugar high than when your blood sugar is low. You're different when your blood pressure is high than when your blood pressure is low. But the thing is, there's a lot more going on inside of you than just what's going on outside of you. And so just because you're in pain does not give you a reason to be a pain. I think that you should write that down. Just because you're in pain does not give you a reason to be a pain. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, says it like this. What is the source of the wars and the fights among you? Don't they come from the cravings? Don't they come from the desires, these, these things that motivate you, these things that you think would bring enjoyment in life? Those are your cravings. They are at war within you. You desire and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. You do not have because you do not ask. You're just trying to get it for yourself. Or you do ask and you don't receive it because you ask wrongly so that you can may spend it on your own desire for your own pleasure. Adulteresses, fornicators, unfaithful people. These are serious words that James is calling out. Do you not know that friendship with the world has hostility towards God? So whoever wants to be the world's friend becomes God's enemy. James is saying, you can't blame the person for your emotion. You can't blame your circumstance for your emotions. Your anger, your jealousy, your envy, your disappointment, your discouragement, it comes from you wanting what someone else has. You want what God gave them. You don't like what God gave you. So your problem is not the person. Your problem is not your circumstance. Your problem is with God. You haven't found satisfaction in God. Or maybe you're just really upset about the cards that he dealt you. You get filled with anger and bitterness and complaining. And that's why it's good to focus on that spiritual health. Your relationship with God, when your relationship with God is good, your emotions will follow because your emotions will become like God's emotions. You'll begin to learn how to love yourself because you'll see how God loves you. You'll begin to learn how to love other people rather than use people because you see how God loves them. You'll get angry at the things in the world because you know that God would also be angry at those things. We may not be able to change the things around us, but we can change how we interpret the things around us and allow those certain emotions to follow. Emotions can be controlled. 
emotions can be controlled. This is an important aspect that takes a while for us to learn, this idea of being self-controlled. When we're young, we're also filled with hormones and feelings and emotions, and it takes a while for our, our intellect, our wisdom to catch up, and we learn some mistakes the hard way. Uh, Peter, in 1 Peter 5.8, says, be serious, be sober, be self-controlled, get a hold of yourself, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for someone he can devour. And I think, how many of us this morning, Satan already had breakfast? He already got a hold of, and he already's gnawing on us. He's probably got a hold of quite a few people this morning because there's empty seats right next to you. Satan got a hold of them. Satan wants to mess you up. Jesus told Peter, who wrote this, that Satan wanted to sift him like wheat. Satan will do anything necessary to get you angry, to get you discouraged, to get you depressed or worried or stressed or overwhelmed. And he'll even use the positive emotions like love and lust to drive you away from God, to do something where God doesn't want you to be. Just because it feels good and just because you feel love doesn't mean that that's where God wants you to be. You do choose your attitudes. You do choose your emotions just like you choose your thinking. We can't say, well, this is who I am. That's, that God wired me that way. God doesn't wire insensitive people. God doesn't wire complainers. We can't say, this is just who I am. You need to love me for who I am and just accept me the way I am. No, I don't have to. You understand that God, I understand God created you. I understand that God doesn't create junk. But I also know that you're a product of humanity's fall into sin. Genesis chapter 1 verses and Genesis chapter 2, God created, things are good. But Genesis chapter 3 comes along and messes everything up. Our emotions are bent away from functioning the way God created them to function. So David says in Psalm 26, verse 2, Test me, Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and my mind. Why would David ask the Lord to examine him if it's something that can't be changed? David said, I've failed in the past, but I've been spending time with you. I think I know the right answers. Try me this time. Give me the test again. I don't want to see if I can pass. Examine me. He was working on some things. Proverbs 29, verse 11. A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man holds it in check. Now, that's not to say that a wise man doesn't get angry. It says a wise man will hold his anger in check. You can control your emotions. So why don't we have controlled emotions? Well, maybe it starts with asking the question, do you really want to change in your emotional health? Do you really want to change? Researchers show that those who have a heart attack will often fall back into their old way of living and eating. Why? Well, because the feeling of a heart attack becomes kind of distant in our memory and we're comfortable with just living how we've always lived. There hasn't been real transformation in our lives. We no longer see the need or feel the need to change. And I think we do that with a lot of aspects in our lives, especially seeking counsel. People will seek counsel because things are really bad. They're really messed up. They'll go in. They'll seek counsel. 
You know, maybe we take some good advice or maybe some circumstances that week in their life has changed and things are good. So then they stop seeking counsel. But there hasn't been any real transformation. James McDonald, a, a good preacher out of Chicago, a good guy to listen to, says, life change can never take place until some circumstance brings you to the unalterable conclusion that your current course is taking you somewhere you don't want to go. You have to say, I don't want to be here anymore. I need to change. I need to allow God to change me. So how do we do that practically? Well, number one, name it to tame it. Name it to tame it. The first thing you have to do in dealing with your emotions is you've got to be able to name it. You've got to be able to recognize it. You've got to be able to identify it. If you don't know what the problem is, how are you going to know what to work with? If you can't name it, you can't tame it. And a lot of us, we're just vague about our feelings. I don't know how I feel. You know, it's hard for us to describe how I feel. Uh, sometimes we just, we don't talk like that. We don't talk about our emotions. Or we just haven't really sat down to think about, why am I feeling this way? What am I feeling? Why? All we say is, well, my situation's pretty complex. I'm a complex individual. And that's it. And yeah, we can have mixed emotions. We can be happy, sad, angry, all at the same time. Sometimes we feel guilty that we're happy because we think we should be sad. Sometimes we're sad and we're angry that we're sad because we don't want to be sad anymore. My wife and I have foster kids, and they come in, and part of the, the goal is to try to help them understand their emotions. What are you feeling? And sometimes they don't know what they're feeling because they're feeling multiple things at the same time. I'm happy, I'm sad, I'm mad, I'm angry, all at the same time. And just as kids, that's hard for us as, as adults to describe. How are we feeling? I think for some of it, we've been in generations where we just don't talk about our emotions. For generations, parents, you know, they didn't argue in front of their kids, which I think is important. But parents also never cried, never got upset in front of their kids. And maybe that's a reason we have generation of, of people who don't know what to do with their emotions. They don't even know how to describe it. So what we need to do is we need to talk about it. Revealing is healing. Revealing is healing. That's not in your notes, but you can add it. The Bible is full of people revealing their emotions. Psalm 6, 3 says, my whole being is shaken with terror. I'm afraid. I'm scared. Psalm 31, verse 9. Be gracious to me, Lord, because I am in distress. My eyes are worn out from angry sorrow. I'm overwhelmed. I'm beyond grieving. Psalm 42, verse 5. Why am I so depressed? Why is this turmoil within me? Why am I downcast? Psalm 73, verse 2 and 3. But as for me, my feet almost slipped. My steps nearly went astray. For I envied, or I was jealous of the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. I'm jealous. We've got to be able to talk about it. If you can't talk about it, it's already out of control. If you have a fear and you're afraid to talk about it, it's out of control. And by talking about it, you begin to gain some control over that emotion. If you don't talk about it and you swallow it, you just take it out on yourself. Emotions weren't meant to be swallowed. They were meant to be shared. Two, 
challenge it or channel it. Challenge it or channel it. Challenge you to say that three times fast. But once you identify it, you have to begin the process of changing it by challenging it. Challenging it means that you recognize that it doesn't have to be that way, that it can change. And that change may not occur overnight. It probably won't occur overnight. It will not occur overnight. All right? The change will not occur overnight. It doesn't happen in a day, but it happens on a daily process. For some of us, we have this groove almost in our brain where we're going to so easily fall into that emotion. And so we have to blaze a new trail in our mind for our emotions to walk. We've got to get out the chainsaws. We've got to cut down some trees. We've got to walk on the grass and make a new path so we don't fall into the, our old way of reacting emotionally. We've got to challenge it. Some ways that we can challenge it is by putting someone in your life to help you challenge it. We're going to talk about that a little bit more next week as we talk about relational health. But sometimes someone else is good at evaluating your emotions and kind of separating your feelings from your facts. And they're, they're there to help you to see the blessing from the burden. They're helping you to get a new perspective. So um, is there people in your life that you've allowed to challenge your emotions? Sometimes you shouldn't challenge your emotions. And by that, I mean your emotion is legitimate. You have a right to be angry at this situation. You have a, a right to be sorrowful. So you don't challenge those things, but you channel those things. You say, how can I turn this into good? You know, your greatest ministry could come out of your deepest pain. You understand what it feels like to experience this pain. You've understood what it's like to experience God's comfort. And the thing is that you're not alone in your experience. People may have not experienced exactly what you've experienced it, but there's people who have come before you who have experienced what you've experienced. And you're not going to be the last person to experience that. There's going to be other people who have the similar experience. So how can you turn your hurt into a help? And last, we need to focus less on our hurt and more on our healer. Focus less on the hurt, more on the healer. And this doesn't mean that we're denying our hurt or we're ignoring it, but sometimes we like to soak in our sorrow, right? We like to age in our anger. We're not going to let this go. We're going to hold on to this until the day we die. We spend so much energy and focus on this emotion, on this hurt, on the, the cause of the hurt that we haven't allowed the one who could take away the hurt or the one who can bring healing to enter into our lives. This doesn't happen by willpower, determination. It happens because God's ability transforms us. So that goes back to our spiritual health. Focus more on God. Focus more on the healer. One of the ways you can do that is I picked a Psalm, Psalm 121. And you can memorize this psalm. Anytime you overcome with this emotion, you want to focus more on your healer, you just memorize Psalm 121. It says, I raise my eyes toward the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and in earth. And here I'm going to change a little bit from your and make it personal and put mine. He will not allow my foot to slip. My protector will not slumber. Indeed, the protector of Israel does not slumber or sleep. The Lord protects me. The Lord is a shelter right by my side. The sun will not strike me by day or the moon by night. The Lord will protect me from all harm. He will protect my life. The Lord will protect my coming and going both now 
and forever. Focus on the healer and less on the hurt. As I pray and end this message and then the worship team will come up, we're going to sing the last song. I encourage you to worship God through this song with all of your emotion. Sing it out. Raise your hand. Clap. Whatever you want to do, it's between you and God. And if some of you are here and you need to reveal your feeling to the Lord, you haven't really talked to him about those things, I encourage you to come forward and use this opportunity to do that. Don't care about whatever people are doing. It's just between you and God. If when the service ends and everyone's leaving, who cares? Spend time with God if that's what God is leading you to do today. So let's pray. God, I feel that there was a lot of things going on. We're talking about our emotions, a lot of things to think through. And God, maybe we've never thought about our emotions before, or maybe we've never been able to name it so that we can uh, try to tame it. Challenged our emotions. We never tried to be in self control, or we've tried and it's been really difficult and it's scary to change. God, I just pray that you would help us allow you to transform us in the area of our emotional health. We ask for your help in this, in Jesus' name.